Let's give them all raises. Awards are bullshit, okay? Everybody stop giving each other awards, okay? Stop it. Just stop it. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broken Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have the infamous Ron Butler. We talk about predictions for the mortgage industry. Ron is the founder of Butler Mortgages and one of the most well-known and outspoken people in the mortgage industry. Whether you love him or hate him, you can't help but pay attention to him. He is chock full of wisdom and insight on the mortgage market and what's happening and large trends that will affect the mortgage space. So my three big takeaways from this conversation. First, we talk about why the real estate market is crazy busy right now with the pent-up demand, what's fueling this whole craziness. We also talk about why the COVID relief that the governments have put in place is one of the most amazing economic experiments we've ever seen and what the trickle-down effect of this is. And then finally, we talk about why B-Business is down more than 60%. Like, why is the B-Business getting beat up? This is a very interesting conversation. I think you're going to enjoy my conversation with Ron. Before we get started, if you are a mortgage broker and you're doing around $10 million a year, you want to check out our new program that we have coming out. So we have a program called the $25 million Blueprint. And if there's one area that we've had consistent success with our clients is taking somebody who's at 9 or $10 million a year and helping them get to 18 or 20 or 25 and so our program, the $25 million blueprint is absolutely perfect for you because you know how to do mortgages. If you're doing 10 million a year, you're probably like, I know how to do mortgages, Scott. What we're going to help you do is how to do more of them, how to scale them, how to get more referral partners and how to get that bigger. And so if that's something you're interested in, go to 10loansamonth.com. You can register for an upcoming training we're doing. That's 10 loans a month with the number 10loansamonth.com and check out that workshop. All right. Hey, Mr. Butler, welcome to Out of Mortgage Brokering Live. Thanks for coming on with me today. We're going to chat about predictions. If you guys are watching this in the Facebook group and you want to ask questions, I will look over there periodically and see if you guys have anything you want to add. So I guess, how are things going? We haven't chatted in a little while. How are things? Very, very busy. Ontario, Maurice business, very, very busy. BC, seemed pretty busy in parts. Yeah. So we're licensed in three provinces. Alberta, we do business there. There's obviously challenges in terms of property valuation in Alberta. I feel sorry for what's happened in Alberta. There are things that our federal government has done that's been very unfriendly. And my wife's in Alberta, and my kids was born there, and I spent six, seven years in Alberta. So I have a lot of sympathy for some of the terrible things that are going on there. So Right. Right now, it's crazy busy. The Toronto market's nuts. Every place in Ontario is nuts. Okay. Like everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Nuts in Sudbury. Nuts in campus casing. Okay. Like it's nuts. Yeah. And your business is all over the Ontario. Like it's not yeah. just. Yeah. We're not, we're digital. We're not, have nothing to do with regionality. We're everywhere. Yeah. Right. Okay. And when do you think this is going to slow down or what's your sort of sense of like, I mean, you've been doing this a long time, but do you have an idea of what you're thinking in terms of. An economist would tell you there's pent up demand. Nobody could buy it. I mean, obviously the sales were down 75% the month of April. They were down 45% the month of May. So there's pent up demand. There's things you have to do in real estate. I mean, if you finally decided your husband is the son of a bitch that you always figured he was, and you finally need to leave him, you need to sell that house and buy a new one. If you have triplets, you sit back and you think, maybe I need more space than this 550 square foot condo. So there's just some things are very compelling reasons to want to do a real estate transaction. But then what we experienced coming out of COVID is this decision of a lot of people who are in very limited square foot environments, whether it's a condo or a small townhouse, who've just said, I can't possibly go through this again. 
it may happen again, and therefore I must buy a house house with a yard, and I don't care where that is, whether it's 15 minutes north of Orangeville or on the Ottawa Valley or in Prince Edward County or wherever the hell it is, I have to have a house. I can't bear the idea of being in my condo again if I'm locked down for a month, so I got to get a house. And we've certainly felt that experience with people buying and work from home. So you combine that desire to own a home with some space and you combine it with my company's letting me work from home for the foreseeable future. So I might as well live in the middle of nowhere because it's inexpensive or I view it as inexpensive. And probably I may never be recalled by my company to go back and work at the corner of King and Bay, which is it's going to be a real experience if you have to drive from Orangeville to King and Bay, let me tell you. But there's two things combined with pent-up demand. Oh, and the lowest rates ever, like ever, crazy, crazy rates. I mean, we're doing a high ratio five-year fix for 158 here. That's a very crazy rate, right? I mean, that's below inflation by a lot. So lots of things combined to create the perfect environment in a pandemic and an economic catastrophe to incent people to buy houses. It is the craziest thing you could imagine. Right. So you got the pent-up demand, you got remote workers, people, I've talked to mortgage brokers that are not remote, but are now going remote, and they got clients moving out of the city to smaller areas. They want a bigger yard, bigger house. You've got people that are even condo dwellers. So are you paying attention to the condo market? What's that look like right now? I think it's very important to understand that we are living in an extremely, and have lived through in the last six months, the most incredible economic experiment in that we've told whoever wants to that they can suspend payments on their debts for the last six months, that they can stop paying their mortgages on up to five properties. So they can stop paying their owner-occupied home. Stop paying for investment, stop paying three investment properties, stop paying on their cottage. But we've told them they can stop paying on their car payments, that they can stop paying their personal line of credit. Just don't pay anything. Oh, and we're going to defer your property taxes too. Okay. So it's literally the most amazing economic experiment you could imagine. And we're seeing the results in that, well, doesn't seem to be any panic in the streets about the economy, right? I mean, you don't pick it up at all. Another really interesting twist on it has been the, in the last two months, particularly three months, has been the complete unraveling of the B marketplace in both institutional B, on the federally licensed B lenders, and on the mix, and even private lending through individuals, probably off 60%, 70% down. Because interestingly enough, if you don't have to pay any of your bills, you really have no reason to refinance anything. And right. 70% of B lending is refinance, right? So there you go. Interesting. So you're saying that the deferrals that people are making on all their payments means that we're not feeling the effects of the economy because a lot of people are just, all of a sudden, all these payments that they had are not there. Don't get me wrong. There are people who are unemployed with very little chance that they're going to return to work soon. And if I were one of those people, I would be extremely worried. We're very, very fortunate in the mortgage finance industry. We're busy. Extremely fortunate. And I would be absolutely worried if I was the long-term assistant general manager of a downtown hotel that has 10% occupancy. That would be worrisome life. Okay? And I feel mm-hmm. for those people. 
and those people, but so far between CERB, SUS, mortgage deferral particularly, loan deferral, all manner of loan deferral particularly, those people have not felt utter panic. And we also have to accept that if you're self-employed and you have a small corporation and obviously times are tough, projects are down and your work is down, but because you can defer invoicing your clients, you could have been on CERB for the last six months. And if you have like three adults in your family, you could be getting $6,000 a month of tax-free income. Right. You don't have to pay any of your debts because they're all on deferral. And because you had a corporate bank account and a reasonable credit rating, you could apply for the government's $40,000 loan, interest-free loan. You don't pay it for anything back for the next two years. And so between $6,000 a month, the $40,000 loan, and not having to pay any bills, you're probably actually economically better off than last year. I'm not saying that's true of everybody, but there's a few. We know mm-hmm. a few. I've run into a few. And that's a really, really, really different experience than any other economic downturn in the history of history. When has that ever happened? That people would say, you know, it's a terrible, terrible economy. Unemployment's running rampant. I haven't been busy. I'm worried about my self-employed job. But actually, really, for the last six months, I've made more money than I've ever made. I have more money in my bank account than I've ever had before. Okay. No, that's definitely never happened ever in history, ever. Right. So, but here we are. Actually, I have a quick story. So one of my friends is he works down in Houston and he did a mortgage for a guy who owned a car dealership. And so because they were getting deferred lease payments on the car dealership, like he was making more money than he's ever, he had so much money. He's like, I'm going to buy another property because I've got so much money from this government stuff that's going on. And so, yeah, there's people in this current economy who are actually coming out further ahead. There's no doubt about it in Canada and the U.S. What do you think about the CMHC chief there? Something seems off that guy, but like the debt cliff talking about like when all these mortgage deferrals come back on the books, do you think that's a real thing? Do you think that's a hype thing? What is your gut on that? People in our industry love to go off on Evan Siddle because Evan says things they don't like, not just us, but realtors and builders and you name it, the whole real estate complex says things that they are mad at things that Evan says. Well, let's understand a couple of things. First of all, Evan doesn't give the tiniest crap what we think about him. Okay? I mean, Evan's an ex-Goldman banker, private banker. He is an extremely intelligent, extremely sophisticated person who has done extremely well in his life and couldn't give a damn what we think. He has his own point of view. And his point of view is that the price of houses in Canada, in certain locations, major cities, is ridiculous. It's ridiculous what the prices are in some cities. And it is dangerous that some people are putting 5% down on a $999,000 house. Well, they're not putting 5% down, they're putting 7.5% down. But they're putting 7.5% down. They're taking on, because I just did one yesterday, the day before, they're taking on like a 962 mortgage with the premium loaded back in. They are solid borrowers, but it's a question. Any rational person would have to ask themselves that question. And they, the borrowers felt nervous about it themselves, no matter how well qualified they are, to take on a $962,000 mortgage on their first home. That's what Evan's really talking about. He's talking about a concern that some people may be hurt. Because let's face it, as I said, we've gone through this incredible economic experiment of some people feeling better off than they were a year ago in an economic catastrophe. 
And will that lead to solid decisions? That's a question that's valid. And what will happen next year? Because I figure they estimated the budget deficit at about $348 billion. I think it's probably more like $550 right now. And we'll eventually find out it's about $550. And that's not sustainable in any way. And once a bunch of programs are siphoned away, I don't know what's going to happen next year. I mean, right. we may have just, and I'm not arguing that any of these measures were bad. That's not my argument at all. I think they were all good and necessary. You could make an argument that they could have been better tweaked. So do you find somebody to make sure you weren't giving serve to people who were actually still working at the same time? And might, people might say, well, uh, that's going to get solved next year when the tax, you know, they're going to get taxed, blah, blah. Okay, but couldn't we have been a little more careful about making sure they weren't getting served and working at the same time? Couldn't we be a little bit more selective? I mean, you can make those arguments. I'm not opposed to the programs, any of the programs on their face. I thought it was necessary. I thought it was a critical moment in people's lives when they're told not to leave their homes for a month and something had to be done. But we may look back a year from now and say, geez, that was a lot better back then than it is today. And I think that's something that Evan thinks about. Right. Okay. I, I mean, shouldn't speak for him, but I think that's what he thinks. That's the sense. Okay. So, but what about the mortgage deferral? So when more of these people who are in deferral... It's over. So yeah, it's October because Denise had a question. So thanks, Denise. So what do you think about Aussie tightening regulations on deferrals as of October 1st? They didn't tighten regulations. They had... That's We're going back to the original. That's a misunderstanding. They created a unique and never before have occurred exception for lenders in Canada, for federally licensed lenders in Canada. And they specifically said it was a six-month exception. And now the six months has ended. So it's nothing about tightening. It's about returning to normal. And yeah, it's going to return to normal. We have to realize there are still a lot of programs for people who are in real need. CMHC, Genworth, and Canada Guarantee operate sophisticated rescue programs for people who can't pay their mortgages. I'm sure that some banks may consider reamortization. I'm sure that there's going to be some work done to try to help people. But wide open loan deferral of all types is not sustainable in any normal economy. It's just not. So it's not even right. sustainable in an emergency for any longer than about six months. So here we are. Right. Interesting. And we're not going to hold you to this because it's your best guess. What do you think the real estate market is going to look like next year? You think it's going to be more the same? I'm trying to be a guy who actually makes calls instead of dodges them. But the reality is none of us know if there's going to be an effective vaccine in March. So an extremely effective vaccine changes everything. I mean, it just changes everything. You can travel again. You can go back to booking weddings and conventions and every other damn thing. And you could get a robust recovery at that point. So it is really hard not to emphasize how much an effective vaccine is game changer. It's a huge game changer. And right. none of us know. Like a lot of people like to say, no, there'll never be a vaccine for two years. Okay. I believe today there is more money, more people, more resources by, to the tune of 10 times being devoted to a vaccine that there has ever been in the history of humanity today, right now. So I'm a little optimistic that these guys are pretty smart and they can figure something out soon. Or there may be a slightly ineffective vaccine in March and then a better vaccine in September. And then things really could return very much to normal. There's a few industries that are going to be affected by the change and they're going to take time to recover. But 
that's the real thing that makes it difficult to predict anything. Right. Okay. So Although I will say this. I think all those people buying houses 15 minutes north of Orangeville may find the values don't hold up quite as well as they might have hoped. So Right. <laughs> okay. So would you buy right now? So if you were like... Absolutely not. Right. Okay. So somebody asked, you kind of answered this question. Rajiv asked, are you concerned about people buying 5% down? Although as they say, are you doing mortgages for people that a minimum down payment on $999,000 purchases if they come to you? I would assume, yes, you're doing those, right? All of us, every single mortgage broker is in the business of doing transactions that are honest, approvable transactions. I mean, we are not here to tell somebody, hey, what the hell's wrong with you? You shouldn't be doing that. That's none of our business, actually. Okay. By the same token, we shouldn't be telling everybody, you're a genius. That place is probably going to be worth $1.5 million in 2022. Honestly, we should not do that either. We shouldn't be selling on the basis that in key cities in Canada, real estate always goes up, will always go up, and will always go up briskly, and will never go down, and you have nothing to worry about, and God bless. Okay? We shouldn't say that either. But by the same token, if somebody comes to me with a legitimate transaction, they're fully qualified borrowers. I am not turning any transactions down. I'm in the business of doing transactions. That's why we're all here. Right. You know, what's interesting to me is there's kind of two parts of the economy. The mortgage brokers, even in the US, flat out busy. They've never been busier. And then you've got another segment of the economy. And like most of them, they would love to hire if they could, if they could find competent people to pick up the demand. And then the other side, you've got people that are like completely underemployed, right? It's a very weird thing that we are so crazy busy. And yet our, a lot of our clients don't have this exact same experience. So Rich Ventura, that's a great name, by the way. I don't know if I've ever met Rich, but I'm like, I just like the way it sounds. Any comments on Evan Sadal making comments on lenders and banks and other insurers to align themselves with CMHC? What are your thoughts well, on that? Well, again, let's be logical. If Evan Siddall believes his position is valid, that ratios should be tweaked, that credit rating should be tweaked to try to improve on the statistical basis of the borrower, if he believes that, then he should believe it for every insurer. I mean, otherwise, you're not whatever's consistent. Wrong with Evan, whatever's wrong with Evan, he's not a hypocrite okay, at all. So what's wrong with him saying, I think you should all do this? We can sure as hell hate it. But again, sooner or later, we've got to realize that what we're talking about is we're biased to our own interests. Okay? And we're biased to our own interests. Warren Buffett said it the best. If you ask a barber if you need a haircut, you will always get the same answer. Every single time. If you ask us whether the loans should be more easily given or should be made more difficult, Basically, 99.9% of us are going to say, oh, easier, better, because prices always go up. So we need to get more people buying houses. Okay. I mean, it's fine. But we have to recognize, we have to have a self-awareness to say, it's in our own interest to say that. And it may not right. necessarily be true. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. We all have a natural bias. Have you seen that in the US, they came up with this extra, what do they call it, where the, the insurers are charging an extra half a percent? It's a surcharge. Yeah. Yeah, surcharge because of like uncertainty charge or something. Yeah. What is your thoughts on that? And I know this is, again, who knows, but you think that's something that we could adopt here? Sure. It's funny. If you're charging more for mortgage insurance, but not changing any of the underwriting requirements, you could make a case that that's a benefit to all of us. And we should be thankful. We don't realize what goes on in other countries. Like it has been consistently harder to do rental mortgages in the United States since 2008. I mean, they're tough on that product. Very tough. 
We should realize that in Britain, when COVID hit, every bank in Britain immediately changed down payment from whatever it was, 80 or higher, when they were doing 80% lending in Britain, they dropped to 60% lending in one day, all of them. In Britain, they have changed their approach to mortgages five times since COVID started. The most recent being that people who were pre-approved bought a house, got went firm, submitted the application, they were pre-approved, and they submitted the application to their mortgage person after with their purchase agreement. The same day the government said, oh, we're going to change things again, and you need more down payment, and there's no grandfathering, we don't give a shit when you bought, and you got to come up with more down payment now. One day's notice, all right? So we have to always look at the fact we're pretty lucky here in this country about some of the things that we complain about are actually not so bad compared to other countries. Right. That's very true. Okay, so a question about B business. B business is down because refis are a big part of it. But do you see the B business being affected by what's happening? Is that a large portion of your business as well? That's another question. I have. That's a small portion of our business. I mean, when I say small, I mean, I think we did 80 million in B last year. So, I mean, it's a small part of our business. But why would you need to refinance? Like, honestly, <laughs> if you could defer every one of your payments, including your property tax, what is your motivation to refinance? And that's what all the B lenders, I mean, don't get me wrong. B lenders say, look, this is off the record. Don't talk about this. I mean, but I'm talking about it. I don't give a shit. Some mortgage workers will say, oh, no, he's wrong. The fat guy's so wrong. I'm busier than hell doing B. Okay. Yeah, but you only do 40 deals a year and now you're doing 50. So you feel you're busy, but you are not representative of the industry, of the whole totality of the number of B deals in this country. It's down. It's right. down. Okay. It'll recover. I mean, it'll start to recover quite well in Q1 next year, and it'll probably be very robust and busy in Q2, barring right. some other problem. But yeah, it'll be busy again. Okay. So I get some interesting questions now. They're going to be all over the place. It's okay if I just hit you with a bunch yeah, of yeah, questions. Yeah. You don't care. Like, just, we'll just have fun with it. All right. So I don't know if you're going to have an answer for this one. It was, well, how do you answer the question? What is your best rate when you're talking to a client? I know you have an answer for this. Well, how would you answer that? My best rate is a one five eight high ratio, and nobody else has got that rate, and you can all screw yourself. Right. That's my answer. <laughs> That's your answer to that. <laughs> what about unconventional? Conventional. Well, <laughs> we're doing a lot of one eight four unconventional five year right now. So right. That's a very good rate. That's one eight four uninsurable, over a million, refinance. So that's a good rate. Right. If you were getting a mortgage today, would you go variable or fixed? That's a legitimately good question. There's two important things to consider. When the variable rate and the fixed rate are very close, most economists would say it doesn't make any sense unless there's a substantial risk discount variable, like 50 basis points. It's not very sensible, all things being equal, to take variable. Now, of course, the immediate Dustin Woodhouse response to that is, oh, the penalty, the penalty. Okay, uh, so, all right, so there's penalty. And we have watched some huge penalties this last three months. There's been astronomical penalties charged, and sometimes wrongly and sometimes almost deceptively. But here's the point. If you're getting a 1.84 mortgage, how far does that rate have to fall before you're really drastically affected by penalty calculation? Yeah, you're going to pay a bigger penalty with fixed than you are with variable. So 
let's just ask human questions. Sir, ma'am, are you going to stay in the house five years? Like, I want you to think carefully about it. I want you to run the, all the scenarios through your head. And you should be wary of penalty. Obviously, the penalty is not going to be as much as when you're going from three to nine and the new rate is 199, you're going to be subject to a big penalty. I don't know if your current rate is 184 and you're going to go down to 169. I don't think that's going to be as massive a penalty implication in the future. But all things being equal, how long are you going to stay in the house? Think about it hard. I'll tell you the truth about the penalties. Make up your own mind. But you personally, so your mortgage, if you have a mortgage, I don't know if you do, but if you had to get a mortgage, would you go fixed or variable yourself today? I'm 63 and I weigh 360 pounds. So I don't even buy green bananas. Okay. Like, honestly, I don't. Okay. So I guess I'd go variable. Yeah. If I had a mortgage, I'd go variable. Like, Let's go, baby. I love risk. Let's go. Who cares? <laughs> like, I, I don't, you know, like, seriously, I don't think too far in the future. <laughs> seriously, like, you don't see anybody like me in the retirement homes. Like, nobody who looks like me is in the retirement homes. They're all stick people. Okay. Everything I plan is relatively short term. So there you go. Okay. That's hilarious. So like, how do people find you guys? Like, let's talk about your business for a sec. So like, we how advertise. are people finding Butler Mortgage? We advertise. We advertise. Online, radio, what's... Rate sites, pay-per-click, radio, lots of advertising. We advertise rates. We advertise rates like loud and aggressively and we're just rate whores. And it's funny, you know, like a really good lending partner said to me just last week, he says, well, if you're rate whores, then I'm a rate pimp because we like to push these partners out. Not everybody's against it. Right. Yeah. There's definitely partners that will help you with it or that will do it. Okay. So you think that in terms of the rate, somebody this question here, I don't know if you have an opinion on this. Do you suspect rates will go lower in March, April when the bond was way down? I was convinced we'd never see below two, but here we are. Do you think they will go lower rates? They could go lower. They could start to move back up. Don't get me wrong, we're not going to see three, four, nine, five year fixed anytime too soon. I mean, like I said, I might not be alive to see that, but they could conceivably go a little lower. We start to run into some technical problems with the rates going much lower. I don't believe we'll ever have negative rates in Canada. We'll never have negative bond yields in Canada. So I don't really see the rates going too much lower than they are today. But could there be a 1.39 five year high ratio mortgage? Yes, possible. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is a good question. Ron, if you could change one thing in the business, what would it be? One thing in the mortgage business? I would ban awards. <laughs> you know, that's funny. We're actually coming out with an award. Do you want me to tell you what it's for though? Go ahead. What's this for? <laughs> it's for mortgage assistance. Because I believe that we're going to do a award for Canada's top mortgage assistant. We're actually going to do a $500 prize with it because I think that they run everything behind us and we get all the like, and I'm like, you know what? let's highlight some of these. I got a better idea. I have a better idea. What's that? Let's give them all raises. Well, if you can, let's yes. Give, underline this. Let's give them all raises. Awards are bullshit. Okay. Right. Everybody stop giving each other awards, okay? Stop it. Just stop it. Stop it, okay? Okay, I'm still going to do it. it. I give them a raise too, but I want to highlight the people that are behind the scenes that actually do the work that most people kind of forget. Preston, here's what you got to do, Scott. Show them the plaque they might win and then say, I'll pay you another 10 grand more. What are your thoughts? And see what they say. <laughs> Just ask them what they say. Give them a choice. They're going to say yeah. the plaque. You know it. Don't even go there. Okay, so... Robert asked about rental deferrals. When deferrals come off in Q1 2021, you see forced selling of rentals. Condos are the most vulnerable 
commodities today. Condos in downtown Vancouver, downtown Toronto are the most vulnerable real estate commodities today. We'll have to just watch. If I was to say who's in the most jeopardy, what type of properties are in the most jeopardy, those are those properties. Those are high-rise condominiums. Small shoebox high-rise condominiums in Toronto and Vancouver. This is a random question, but you have a lot of like random knowledge. So do you think any other of the big banks would ever rejoin or join the broker channel? Well, Royal will never come. CIBC is committed to their sales force. CIBC tried brokers and came to abandon them. They were what Scotia is today in the broker channel and they walked away. They shut it down one day on one day's notice. CIBC did. BMO, I think, is doing enough business through the existing model line lenders that they think they're comfortable. But here's what we got to understand. This is a topic that there should be some seminars on. There should be some discussion of. Every lender in Canada is hardening their position on paying us to churn our business, to every year, every two years, refinance the same client, to get repaid 100% commissions on the same client. Lenders are starting to carefully watch people who do a transfer switch with a variable. And then the lender finds out the house was listed a week and a half after the switch finished and they're getting a payout request six weeks later. And the truth is those mortgage brokers need to be charged back the full commission. That's true. Right. Every lender from the very biggest to the smallest is getting fed up with churn, really fed up with churn. Like you plan on reaching a point where you only have 200 clients. And you're never going to bring us another new client because you're just going to churn these 200 for the rest of your life to retire. They're getting really fed up with that. I don't Mm -hmm. blame them. We need to start thinking about that. And we need to start thinking about the fact that there is just still too much bad acting. There's just too much. It's a lot less fraud than there ever was, but there's still some. And it ain't good. And lenders are going to get tougher and tougher on that. One of the reasons that the biggest lender in the channel wants to deal with fewer brokers is that they know that all of their problems are with small brokers, with people Mm -hmm. who only send them three deals a year and agglomerate under others. So I think we should be cognizant of that. Like if we think that all the lenders are here just to be chum for us to devour, it's going to be a real big surprise to some people in the next two years. The problem is, is that we think we're in the rental business. We're renting them a client. They think they're in the buying business. They're buying a client. And there's this disconnect between what their expectations are. Hey, I'll pay you and all my underwriting costs to get this deal and expect to make money in the back end. And brokers are thinking the opposite. So what do you think about like, I know the Australia model, which is the whole, what they have. Why is that not taken off here? What do you think that is? You know what I'm saying? But like where they pay trailers. And- I'm aware of the Australia model. The reason it's not taken off here is, that every bank operates a sales force. Why would a consumer pay to consult somebody on how to get a better mortgage rate or how to process the application more smoothly? I mean, why would you pay to get a loan? I'll roll that around in our heads for a minute. I mean, like, sure, people do. Payday loans wouldn't exist. But if you were a AAA client, why would you pay anyone to assist you in borrowing money? Right. But I'm not meaning that. So you're talking about some of them charge fees for the device. majority of them charge fees. The majority of them right. charge But there's also they get paid like the trailers, essentially. So sure. not, and eventually not. that will all come to an end. Because let's face it, long term, like really long term, like 20, 25 years, 
when you say broker of any type to an 18-year-old, they're going to need to Google the definition of that. There's going to be no brokers. I mean, if you can do something digitally, why wouldn't you? Right? I mean, the lowest rates in Canada are is Scotia eHome. Scotia eHome, right on their website, is like 184 for an over a million dollar purchase right now. Sure, brokers won't just vanish from the face of the earth because they'll still be B business that needs coaching through a B business that needs selection, that needs, you have to do a lot of work to get the client to understand what's possible, what's impossible. But for an A mortgage, that's all we do. We do like a billion dollars worth of A mortgages. And to do an A mortgage is, we think it's stressful because there's all kinds of little things go wrong, okay? And drive us crazy. And we have to redo files and fix things up and tidy things up. And we think it's painful. The consumer just thinks we're idiots. Well, how hard is this? You know, I have an 860 right. Beacon score. My ratios are 28 and 28. And what are you whining about? We both work for the government. Like, why are you whining? Just do the mortgage and shut up, okay? That's the reality. Because so many of us work with hard files, we think that's what the world is. But it isn't. The majority of mortgages done in this country are pretty damn simple to highly qualified people. Right, just because we don't see that many of them makes us think they don't exist. But it's like if you ask a bartender, everybody's a drunk. Everybody. Why, why is everybody so drunk in here? Because <laughs> they're in a bar. Okay, I'll take one last question because we've gone a little longer than I was expecting. This is interesting. What does your org chart look like? It looks like spaghetti. I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. We should do a much, much better job of process handling in our office when it's all digital. We never meet with anybody. We should do a fantastic job, an infinitely better job than we are doing currently. All right, super quick story. Years and years ago, there's a company, there's still a company to this day called Snapple, okay? But Snapple is the iced tea guys, right? So yeah. 25 years ago, they were just a small company who blew up nationally, like the White Claw soda booze has blown up in the last little while, these coolers. They've gone up like 10,000%. Well, there was a time when Snapple went up 8,000% in one year because they had certain kind of advertising and it really took off. And then companies like Nestle and Diageo came to try to buy them because they were an independent company. So they went into this place and they go to have a meeting with the ownership and they go in and first of all, they couldn't find it because it's a warehouse and there's no name on the door and finally they have to ask directions. These guys are like five guys in suits, okay? Like they just flown in on a private jet and they have to say, well, where is it? Okay, go in that door. So they go in this rusty door they walk up this paint peeling stairs and all this horrible, okay? But they sit in a waiting room where there's just like a card table and there's a bunch of folding chairs in the waiting room. These guys who flew in a private jet are sitting up folding chairs. Finally, they get in to meet with the ownership and those guys are all kind of dressed terrible and like, they look like they haven't had a haircut. They look like they were in COVID 20 years ago, for God's sakes. I mean, they just look awful. And so finally, one of the junior guys in this meeting piped up and said, can you explain to me why you guys are operating out of this place? I mean, you've had the highest growth in the history of the beverage business. And don't get me wrong, this place doesn't smell very nice here. So the guy said, well, we were able to find all the money to do all the advertising because we're so phenomenally cheap. And the only thing we think about is pushing out more Snapple every day. We don't give a shit what the place looks like. And it keeps the rents low and it keeps our expenses low so we can push more advertising. So that's actually where our company ended up, is that we spend all of our time trying to do more deals every day, every single day. We don't 
worry about org charts. Sometimes when I look at mortgage broker Facebook and somebody says, can somebody send me an organizational chart or can somebody give me the best advice on how to hire an assistant? Can somebody tell me about what's the best way to process a deal? And I always think to myself, you've only done six deals. Just concentrate on dragging another deal in and forget about all this organization. Just do more deals. That's it. Make that your highest priority. Don't make the org chart your priority. Don't make the flow chart your priority. Don't make the process management your priority. Just put everything in your mind to, let me do another mortgage today, but let me do two. Now let me do three. Like that's the way we run our business from the beginning is just spend every moment thinking about how to do more mortgages. Right. Very good. That's a great finishing story. So if you guys found this useful, hit a like button or an angry button, whatever emotion that you're feeling, because you never know. You're going to be angry. And people Ron, on this video. And I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. And we'll have to do this again sometime. And we'll do another Fireside with Ron. And we'll, yeah, we'll, 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 Okay. Fair enough. Thank Fireside you, Scott. With Ron. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Scott. Take care. Thanks, man. Bye. Okay. Bye now. Hey, thanks for checking out this episode. If you've been stuck around the 10 million a year mark for a while now, you need to check out our $25 million blueprint. It's our signature program where we'll help you take your business from nine, 10, or a million a year to 25 plus in four simple steps. Check out 10loansamonth.com. That's the number 10loansamonth.com to see how we can help you get your business to 25 million plus a year. And thanks again for checking out the show.